Welcome to Spark.Grow, a series of conversations on topics that are critical to companies and people that want to grow, scale, and maintain their performance. Spark.Grow is brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark and hosted by Dave Haviland, founder of Fimation based in Ann Arbor. This conversation was recorded in the podcast studios of the Ann Arbor District Library. Now we'll turn it over to Dave Haviland for this conversation. Welcome to our latest edition of the Spark.Grow podcast. Um, Today, we are going to be talking to Rich Chang, uh, maybe, probably somebody that doesn't need introduction, but um, because of that, Rich, I'm going to have you um, tell us uh, what your position is now, what you're doing with yourself, and then um, maybe after you do that, can you, can you talk about like the arc of your story? You know, where'd you, where'd you come from? Where are you? Where do you think you're headed? Uh, yeah, so my name is Rich Chang. I'm CEO of New Foundry. Uh, we're an about an eight-year-old software consultancy uh, based here out of Ann Arbor. Uh, Our office is actually over a logo at Trader Joe's. We used to be off of Main Street in the Grofactory office with Wap John over there. Uh, And he he really helped us uh, in a lot of ways, more than one. Uh, One was giving us a place to call home for a bit, which is pretty uncommon, especially for a very early startup. and uh, then we actually outgrew that space and bought a building off of Washtenaw uh, here in town. And we've been there for, I think, about five years. And that's been a key critical tool, actually, in our growth uh, up until time of COVID. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we kind of our sweet spot is working with companies, rather startups, all the way through enterprise side that have some kind of really interesting problem or challenge you're trying to solve, right? And sometimes it's an idea in a napkin and sometimes it's like a big hairy idea or something they've actually fleshed out a lot. But we look at things in three ways, strategically design and engineering all together in like one big ball um, as we as we navigate through the different steps of the product development process with them. Uh, I actually came to Ann Arbor through kind of a weird circuitous route, um, a lot of it th- totally by luck and, and happenstance. Uh, I grew up in New York State in a town called Poughkeepsie. Uh, it's IBM country. My dad was a lifelong 40-year-old IBMer, uh, and that was actually my first foray into technology. Uh, and believe me, even back then, I started making mistakes. Uh, so, uh, for instance, when I was very young, my dad might have bring home punch cards, and you know those had to be in specific orders. Well, I didn't know that, and I thought, wow, these are like decks of cards, and threw them up, right? Uh, which was, I, I think made for a very miserable day for my dad. Uh, one of the other times too is that when I grew up, the IBM PC was extremely new and my dad got to bring home one of the very early models. And I don't know, thinking, hey, it's a shiny new thing, we should keep it clean. And so I figured out how to open up the case, took the vacuum to it, vacuumed it out, closed it back up. And then I think like a day later or something, my dad had happened to try and get on and the thing wouldn't power on he had no idea why well I'm pretty sure it was me <laughs> uh, but you know it's, it's a good lesson and yeah you, you gotta sometimes break things and they're a little painful at times but I learned a valuable lesson out of that especially on static electricity so I it's hard for me not to ask I mean I, I hear innovation in those two stories um and so um, is there any similar story of something you broke in your business recently, um, just kind of kind of in the same way? Oh, my gosh. Dave, we break things almost like daily in our business. <laughs> I think, uh, and I don't know if that's average or above average or just normal, but for us, uh, I mean, there's certain things or certain aspects of being a business owner that uh, me and my partners, I have two wonderful partners. 
uh, we just are flying by the seat of our pants sometimes. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting situation, right? Because you have, we have a staff of 12 wonderful employees that come to us looking for advice. And there's sometimes the question they ask us, we're going, and we, we don't act like we don't know it, but sometimes we don't really know. We're just going, well, I think this is the best approach. And mm-hmm. in the end, that's actually a skill that I learned over time. Uh, a lot of it because I've had a lot of different, the, the opportunity to, to hold a lot of different roles, um, which frankly, I try and preach that folks need to do that more often. Like even if they want to be a software developer for their entire career, you got to at least at some point, and the best time is in your 20s, to try different positions, QA, product development, even business development and sales. Because once you understand how each of those positions work, you as a software developer, you're going to be able to approach and actually communicate what we're trying to do a lot better depending on the audience because you're going to know the challenges and uh, like the pros and cons that they have to do, especially if it's like sales and they communicate something to the client, uh, to a project management role, like how they have to keep track of certain schedules, that kind of piece, right? And interact with, with clients and account management side. Uh, and so those different lessons have played into my ability to understand risk, especially the QA role. Because in QA, your whole purpose there is to either break things or validate things, right? And a lot of times when you break things, you have to go, oh, shoot, is this like a big enough issue that it could potentially cause uh, problems for end users and either uh, harm our reputation, cause like data leaks or whatever? But you have to sometimes weigh like sometimes the big, huge, like, whoa, this like complete crash the system. The chance of that happening is 2%. However, like the small kind of thing where we go like, yeah, you know, it might be a nuisance, but that could be something that affects the reputation and the, the value that people put into your application, right? And so that weighing of odds and weighing of risk is something that uh, I've honed over time. And there's actually a process that a lot of fo- folks call, it's, it's RAT, it's pronounced RAT, uh, and it's a riskiest assumption test. And I'm a huge fan of that right now, right? And a lot of us, will, we're all very familiar with like, agile development processes, waterfall, et cetera. And then in particular, creating like alpha and beta products. The problem is, is like nowadays creating alpha and a beta product is really tough to just launch in the market and say like, hey, let me kind of see how people interact with this. Because even though you tell them it's an alpha and a beta, for some reason they have an expectation that the quality is like way up here. And you have some bugs, you're like, oh, this thing is like too buggy. I don't want to do it. It's like, no, I just need you to focus on this particular mm-hmm. functionality. The other stuff is not implemented yet. Well, the risky assumption test is you're really not going to really do alpha and beta so much is you're going to break it up into a lot smaller granular pieces. And every step of the way you make a decision, you're making assumptions, right? And you may be like, I assume X. Well, fine. Well, when you have that assumption, let's break it down to... Um, what are you uh, assuming is, is, is going to potentially happen? And then can you mitigate that assumption in some way? And you may only get to like a 50-50 chance, uh, but that's better than zero, right? And so it's, and, and you may be okay to even just ship it with a 10% assumption, but at least you've spent the time to kind of assume it, right? Because I mean, one of the biggest assumptions we make is clients will come and use it, which that has been a failure for me in the past. And I learned because... One of my early startups, we had this awesome product, a bunch of engineers and me, created it, launched it, and said, ah, oh, you built it, they will come, right? And that whole uh, feel the dreams thing, no. Uh, we needed a sales team, we need people to get out there and talk about it, and we didn't do that. And of course, we ended up, uh, I ended up having to leave after about two years because the money dried up, 
and then they fold it two years after that because they they just yeah. um but that's there was an assumption on our side of ah this thing's great they're gonna love it and no well, that was a really poor assumption that we didn't dive into when i um, work with clients introducing them to the business case um idea it inevitably i say the weakest area that I see from most companies or most executives is the risk section, right? People, people just, it's, it's hard, first of all, to envision risks. Um, and when people don't have a lot of experience characterizing or qualifying or, or um, yeah, characterizing or qualifying risk, it, it, it can be hard to kind of figure out, well, how do I identify those? So um, you said that you have, uh, taking it or uh, that, that different experience helps you to identify more risk. Is there anything else that you do as you internally try to get your team better at identifying risks? To, to teach uh, that? Yeah. So at prior companies, I think it was a bit easier because we actually had dedicated QA teams, right? Especially when it comes to software development. With the way New Foundry is structured right now, most of our resources go into our design team and our engineering team, and we don't actually have a separate QA team. Uh, and we have actually quite a few on the engineering side, uh, almost like fresh out of school, so they don't have a lot of experience. So that's just something that we have to have continue conversations with them, um, especially when they're trying to determine approaches to solving a problem, right? Because you, a lot of times, the easiest route is actually not the best route. And they'll make assumptions of going, oh, well, I have this project timeline, a deadline that I have to meet. I just want to get this done. It's like, oh, hold up. Actually, your better chance when you look at this from like a risk profile is actually to take a step back, determine what is actually the best solution. And that may actually be longer. And it may actually even affect our overall project schedule where we have to go to client and be like, hey, sorry, we're not going to meet this deadline. We're going to have to push it out a little bit. Because the risk that we have is we're always aiming to have long-term relationships with our clients. So we, what that means is we launch a product, maybe version 1.0, we're hoping we're going to tack on more things. Well, if they took the easy route to solve that particular problem, it could be when we get to say, and that, that's in version 1.0, we get to version 2.0, they go, oh, yeah, I had this functionality I want to add. And we go, great, we can add it. And then we get into the code and go, oh, shoot we didn't code this very well we can build off of it and now we have to like refactor or potentially redo which costs us time and money and resources and that's not something we can go to a client be like hey by the way we didn't approach it the proper way before now we need you to kind of pay us more to fix our mistake um that's just not going to fly and then now we're actually running into a potential project schedule problem because we need to count on having to redo that section Right, right. So in my client base, I think the way we address what you're talking about is to have the more senior people involved because they're able to see the bigger yeah. picture and see where things are going. Is, is, have you discovered any other shortcut around that or anything like that? To it, Yeah, it's just... No, I think that's, that's pretty much spot on. And to be completely upfront, like that is actually a challenge for us because one of our most senior people is one of my business partners, who's Chris, who's our CTO. And we always talk about leadership. Uh, you really should be focused on building the company, like working on it, not being in it. And he spends a ton of time right now being in it. So we are in the process of trying to hire um, some more senior engineers, but that's that's proven to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, but it's it's something that we've known about, right? And in, in, in the yeah. in the Michigan Midwest area, 
a lot of those folks are going out to the coasts, right? And then maybe they'll mm-hmm. come back. But the the pool of workforce that we can tap into between us and all the other software um, engineering teams, or whether it's a corporate or startup, we're all kind of fighting for the same folks. Uh, so that is yeah. that is a challenge that we have. Uh, but I think your overall approach, yes. I mean, it's the senior folks have to be in there and almost work with them almost day to day because it'll get to the point that they finally do figure it out, right? It's I didn't right. I didn't have this risk. Uh, deduction skill it took years of honing so i have to mm-hmm. remember that and give the patience to our team to give them the patience, uh, the chance to grow and, and figure this out yeah i love that well and i know workforce is one of the things that you care a lot about and i do want to circle back to that but i want to stay on your company yeah. for now because um, uh so so is there any part of your business model that's changing in any significant way that you can share with us Oh my gosh, we our business model has changed, man, oh, at least every year um, because we actually do an evaluation of where we stand, how how growth has occurred. Uh, and as much as we'd always, all of us would like the hockey stick growth, I mean, it's it bounces all over. Like we've had really great years, we've had average years, really great years, average years. Um, our initial year in particular, uh, a lot of our work was focused more on, say, like branding and uh, just frankly, just doing whatever we could to keep the doors open. I mean, we were basically just like month by month going, all right, we're going to make payroll this month. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we were fortunate that uh, my partners and I, we already were in the business or in the community pretty often. So referrals was a huge boon to us, right? So we had a lot of referral work. And frankly, we still have a ton of referral work now. But our whole goal that first year, was to one, keep the doors open and keep the lights on. Uh, because we've always, we initially founded the company a premise of, of launching a product, um, which in the end we didn't do. And I don't know if we would have uh, done as well if we had actually launched it. Because it's basically Venmo, <laughs> right? And we know how big Venmo is right now. I don't know if we were structured at that time to really launch something that that well fleshed out. Um, but we knew that if we were going to try and focus on a product, we better have some deep pockets, right? And we had available money, but we said, okay, let's just do services that help us build up our bank account, that kind of stuff. And also um, help us build a portfolio because diversity is always something that we've been very concerned with very at the beginning for the industries we work on, which is actually why we founded the company because my last company was all focused on travel and love travel, love that area, but it makes you nervous to have all our eggs in one, burst, uh, in one basket. Diversity of people, um, and the diversity of, of revenue sources. And we knew initially it was pretty much going to be all in the services revenue basket for a while, but always marching toward a goal of getting toward products. So our second year, uh, we started getting a, a better portfolio, which has allowed us to kind of increase our hourly rates, also increase our visibility, and also uh, have folks trust the output and work that we're doing because now we're actually able to show them work that we have done. And so those initial engagements that we did, a lot of times, we frankly were lucky to just break even on them, which is fine. But when you're trying to build a client base and and some we may not have in the end uh, made a profit on it, but over the span of a year, I think we closed out like our first year making like $100,000, right? Which I'm like, Mm -hmm. hey, that, that works for us. I mean, we had a team of like six in our first year among brand designers and engineering. Uh, so we're happy to just walk away with that instead of being in the red. Uh, and then afterwards, we just kept building up uh, 
our referrals were increasing. We started getting a lot more into automotive engagements again, uh, because mm -hmm. I think at that point, the automotive manufacturers and the tier one, tier two, three uh, suppliers were starting to better understand how to interact with tech. Because when we first created a company, we were like, we are not touching or doing any automotive. Because first off, they typically have like net 90 and you're lucky even if you get paid in that yeah. time. Yeah. Like, we're living month to month. I can't afford like 90 plus days to get a check from these folks. Um, but they started to make a shift. And nowadays, I mean, it's very common. You find a lot of development firms in the area mm -hmm. in particular that are working with automotive. Uh, and so then from there, we still were having a lot of projects that were probably maybe like four to 12 weeks uh, delivery time, uh, which was great because you're always getting these checks. Man, is it a slog, right? And mm. on the business development side, we had to continue out there just on the hamster. We're going like, okay, new, need new clients, need new clients. And we had mm. one of our best years. Uh, I think it was 2018, uh, but it was. I mean, we were stressed out. Like we were happy, but stressed mm. because yeah. we had a really awesome revenue year. But man, it was it was tough on the on the team because they're they're putting in tons of hours. Uh, and then my partners and I were just continually stressed about like, okay, we just keep going to keep getting more leads and business development in. So we made a very conscious decision to really concentrate on trying to get more longer, larger engagements with enterprise. Um, but one, we had to figure out not just our messaging because messaging is great, but if you're not living what you're, what you're saying, then that's pointless. Uh, and so we had to make some changes internally um, where a lot of internal systems we had to automate to make more efficient. Because the last thing you want to do is like hire more people to kind of band-aid over bad habits uh, or bad processes that you have in-house. So we fixed our build processes, um, got a lot better with our ticketing system, um, better with our communications, trying to reduce the amount of interrupt-driven stuff that our team has, uh, where the clients, because we always want to get white glove treatment, but when you're interrupt-driven, yeah. you can't get it done, right? Uh, and so our... How long did that upgrade process take? Oh. So you identified the different oh, no, areas that you needed to do. Yep. Yeah, weeks some, or months, quarters? Some, some were, some were, like our build process was probably uh, a month to get a core piece implemented. But that's something that probably took six months to a year to fully get fleshed out. Okay. Um, because besides just implement things, you go, oh yeah, that's not going to work out in the end. You have to, you have to re but now within the last two years, everything, at least on the build side is very automated, uh, especially with the client infrastructures we do, uh, which has actually allowed us to provide better customer care too, right? Because say we have some weird outage, we're not sitting there trying to troubleshoot it. We just spin up a new instance and they're back up within usually a couple of minutes. And some of these are large corporations with worldwide footprints that we can't afford to have them down, right? That looks bad for us. Uh, and then some of our other processes, they're ongoing, right? I mean, there's goals that we set every year that some get repeated every year. We're like, well, we've made some progress, but we may be only 20% at the end of that year, 40, mm -hmm. 60. And that's one thing I think as business owners, we have to remember is we're not going to solve everything with a snap of a finger and there's risk, there's priorities, and then there's time that we have to work with. Uh, and so that's, yeah, I mean, that's that was something difficult for us because I want snap, fix, solve, and then we just <laughs> move on. And it's a journey, right? It's that whole like marathon or sprint. You just have to figure out which which it is for, for what you're trying to do. You uh, you made reference to your you know strategic priorities year to year and stuff. What is your what is your strategy cadence or strategy process look like? Uh, so it's probably not 
the most fleshed out and we should probably should use you for help with that in the end. Uh, it's more my partners and I get together and look at things from a business development standpoint, an operational standpoint, a team development standpoint, uh, and a few other parameters at the beginning of the year and go, okay, what are what do we need to do to grow the company? And are there areas that we can fix or improve? And if so, do we outline that? To be um, completely upfront though, we had a really good plan for 2020 that we we're about to start moving and then COVID hit. And then at the start of 2021, we're like, okay, do we do this now? Because it's like a full document that we share with the team and we have not done that yet. Um, but I think things have stabilized, especially now as we get closer to June, that I would like to get something implemented into there um, because we had some soft goals, but we didn't want to just say like, okay, here's what we're going to have for revenue, client-based, uh, and then we not meet it because then some folks are just like, oh, we didn't hit our yeah. goals. But operational stuff, yeah, we always set new goals. Those are actually probably more often, uh, maybe quarterly. Chris and his team working mm-hmm. around that. Yeah. So you have you have some kind of quarterly or monthly follow up um, to check in on that on your yeah. Well, actually, we uh, we don't necessarily have to say check in on it. Uh, like Chris Khan and I talk about that, but with the team, we'll know weekly how things are going because we have at least a weekly full team meeting every Monday. Um, I should mm-hmm. think it's a at 11 every Monday that we do a what we call a traffic meeting. And then we actually have daily standup. Um, so there's there's different aspects of Agile that we have implemented just to make sure that we're communicating. And COVID has, has proved to be a bit challenging with that, right? Um, and it's not just the collaboration, it's just more the ad hoc collaboration where we have an open office space, which I know some folks like, some folks don't like at different companies. But one thing we like about that environment is someone could be chatting with their coworker about something, and then another coworker hears that and goes, oh, I came across that before, and here's a solution. We don't get any of those kind of just random um, discussions, or maybe Chris will see something like, oh, you know what? I think you might want to think about approaching it a different way and going from there. Um, and I know that the team is hungry for that type of interaction, mm-hmm. which hopefully we'll be able to get back to soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe changing gears a little bit. Can you talk about your leadership style and/or any significant leadership lessons you've learned? Anything in that area? Yeah. Uh, so my leadership style has definitely been developed over time uh, because I've worked with a very wide range of managers, which at times some of them they were horrible to work for, but I'm grateful for that. Cause I think a lot of this, Mm -hmm. what is the statement? Like a lot of times we manage based on who we don't want to (laughs) be. And I wish more folks actually live by that. Um, But my management style, I'm actually very fortunate again, that I get to manage in a way that like, for me, I'm more, I try to be more hands-off and let people kind of figure things out and learn because that's worked well for me. But there's sometimes they kind of step and be like, Whoa, hold up. But I don't like to do that as much, especially the micromanaging thing. But my other two partners also, like we all have different but complementary approaches and personalities to management. Uh, And so there are some situations where I go, man, I don't really know how to handle that. And one of other business partners who can be maybe like a little, like they're not as, as concerned about being perceived as abrupt, right? They'll just go like, I'm just gonna ask a question and they'll they'll find out and dig into it and then just we just move on from there. Uh, and so the team I think gets to see 
like different approaches, but it's always in my mind effective. Um, I, I don't know, like my empathy is a big thing for me, right? Like I'm always trying to figure out to, to put my um, empathy hat on in different situations. Uh, me as an individual, and actually it's funny, I just had a conversation with someone about this this morning. Uh, I'm a lot more adaptive, I think, to situations. But that's not always a good thing, right? Because there's been times mm -hmm. that I were like, eh, you know, it's just the way it is. And I just do my changes. And one of my business partners were like, why are we doing it this way? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a good point. Maybe we should fix it, right? Or change it or do whatnot because it'll it'll gain efficiencies or um, lower costs or whatnot, right? And there's, there's times that we get into these habits that we're willing to just overlook the shortcomings. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So... Sometimes that is a management style that's helpful and other times it's not. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's just the moderation of a lot of different experiences that I've had. Yeah. Um, hardest thing about running a business, leading a business? What would you say? Oh think? boy. Well, I mean, it's, it's a thankless job usually, right? Uh, especially <laughs> when you're a smaller company and you have a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats. I think the biggest challenge for us right now is just more on the staffing side of um, being able to grow at the pace that we need. Uh, we also, I think this will probably resonate with quite a few leaders is the younger generation, they're scrappy and they're great. But uh, a lot of times I kind of half jokingly say that I wish we weren't uh, their first job out of college. Um, because for me, frankly, I know I grew a lot because I don't think actually they've changed any. Like I look at it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I was probably one of these folks too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I went through a lot of different opportunities where I learned, oh, wow, like I have it really good at different times at different companies. Because like I said, I've worked for some yeah. really terrible managers. I worked for some yeah. really terrible companies. <laughs> yeah. Large yeah. And small. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so that I think that's that's one of the challenges. And then just from, say, like a business standpoint, depending on what you're in, I weren't services. Uh, and I think you're in a similar kind of situation. It's just that kind of hamster wheel of, of finding a new business. But I love that. But it's just like there's times that we don't get the job. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so sad when you get that work because we could do such amazing stuff for them. And so those kind of um, downsides when you don't win the actual work. That's just a bummer. Yeah. What um? Let me see how I can ask the question. What's your relationship, and what's what's the company's relationship with conflict? Like, how do you how do you think about it, and how do you manage it, and how do you use it? Yeah. Uh, so that's something on a personal side that I've had to develop over time how to better deal with conflict, uh, and mm -hmm. I have not always dealt with it very well. Like I remember one of my very first uh, job out of college. Uh, so I was probably 22 or so. I was given a leadership role uh, running a second tier uh, engineering team and had a very challenging person work for me. And we're in the operations center and I, he just wasn't doing his job and actually giving me a lot of challenges, right? He was an older gentleman, didn't want to be led by some young punk kid out of college, basically. And we got into a yelling match, right? And right in the middle of an operations center, not good, right? 
So that was lesson number one uh, <laughs> in how to. What's that? To not to get into a yelling work. match in front of everybody? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Is and then also, I learned some approaches on how to diffuse those situations over time, right? And sometimes it's, it's personal side, right? Because from a personal standpoint, I used to just always avoid conflict. I'd be like, oh, okay, well, there's conflict coming. I'll just turn and go some other route and, and try and work my way around it. But you never solve anything. Uh, and even now with my other two partners, frankly, we have conflict every day. And in the end, conflict is decision-making. And I may think that we can take a route. They'll be like, well, I don't, I don't know about that. Here's some stuff. And that's something we had to, to, to learn. Uh, one of the best ways that I figured something out around that was actually taking some personality tests. Uh, and the, the big one was actually um, the StrengthsFinder one. I found that to be extremely invaluable because mm. like Tay Myers-Briggs, that doesn't really help me with stuff, but those, whatever the 30 or 33 things, traits that strength finders maps out, it's not saying that yeah. you, you're horrible at the ones that are like the lower end. It's just, it takes a lot of energy. Uh, and for mm. me, you're going to laugh at this strategy was like one of my bottom one, like bottom strengths, <laughs> but I had to think strategically every day. It just, it's tiring. Yeah. Whereas Chris yeah. and Kyle, strategy was like one or two for them. And one conversations, and they're like, oh, here's the approach we're going to take. And I'm like, hold up, hold up. I got to I gotta mull this over and think about this some more, right? Uh, and then there's other things, my strengths that they have a difficult time with. It takes a lot of energy. Um, but yeah. that also enabled us to figure out conflict, right? Because we had a lot of communication problems, which in the end is why I think a lot of conflict happens, um, where one of my partners, he, for instance, likes to talk things out. Whereas I like to internalize and mull through, I'm like, okay, we'll try this, this, and this. And then I'll be like, here's what I think we should do, right? And he'd be like, yeah. well, did you think about this? Did you think about this? And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then the guy's been like, I'm not like not thinking about these things. And you'd be like, well, I don't know because you didn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, this is a communication problem. I can fix that. So now I actually verbalize a lot more, right? And so that resolved a lot of those particular conflict problems. With conflict with the team, we have that daily. Actually, we had a, a fairly large conflict with one of our team members um, last week or the week before um, around uh, a particular part for instance, around sales commissions, right? And we had to kind of change that structure, but we sat down, we discussed, we presented different options, worked our way through some of those options, and then we're able to resolve the conflict. Whereas I would say probably five years ago or maybe even longer than that, I, I would have just hit it. And, and I don't know how that conflict would have gotten resolved. Right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I think, That's impressive. I love that. Yeah. I just remember it's all communication. And I mean, we all feel it where our, our blood pressure starts to go up and we start getting like you know, heart rate increased. I've had to figure out ways to kind of lower that. And sometimes I don't do it as well. But I definitely don't blow up at folks uh, in those situations, and it's techniques that I've had to learn. Definitely not perfect. <laughs> well, I am going to switch to work first here, but I, because you know it would be foolish not to ask you more about innovation. But but we get to go into the deep end of innovation with you because um, you spend so much time there. So, um, what what's the hardest thing about innovation for people in general? And or where do you see like the mistakes most frequently? Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is that maybe the definition of innovation. 
Because um, for me, innovation really boils down to research and development. And for mm. my definition of research is creating something, trying some new method, technology, bringing something new to market, but being willing to actually shelve it, right? So we, we chat with a lot mm. of uh, my fellow peers that own other software development firms. So like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, oh yeah, we're doing a bunch of R&D. I'm like, oh, like, what does that mean? Like, oh, well, we're working with a client on some new technology, this kind of thing. I'm like, oh, well, is there ever times that you go, wow, this this is not really going to pan out the way it was? And you shout, like, oh, no, no, no. We only take things that we're pretty certain is, is, is a 100% given that it's going to succeed. And the reason why this actually became to the forefront for me was actually my time at Arbor Networks. So Arbor Networks was actually a spinoff from University of Michigan. In the network security world, you know, one of the big success stories of Arbor over the uh, last bunch of decades. Uh, but that product that Arbor Networks was built was actually a graduate student's just a project that got shelved, right? And they were just playing around. But then there was a need that came on later on through because one of the mm-hmm. large telcos had a big, huge security issue. It's a service problem. And they remember a presentation on it and they, they basically brought it out from there. And so for mm-hmm. me, for innovation, it's really being willing to experiment and just really play with stuff and not expect that you're going to have an outcome. And most of all, not that, oh, I'm going to get a, a, like a revenue stream or customers using this. It's more a play um, method. And I think that's something that's very much lacking today in our approach uh, through education. Uh, especially K through 12 with students through the college time. And then also even when we're working um, because we talk about workforce, right? So me as a business owner, I'm going to be more inclined to pay attention to and hire someone that I know is actually playing with a lot of different things because that kind of inquisitive, innovative mind of, yeah, you know, there's some stuff with sensors and this doesn't really apply to my day job, but I'm going to figure this out and maybe something will pop out of it. That's where the innovation occurred because you learn things mm-hmm. that you can apply potentially to other solutions or other ways or create new products because you've now played with something. Like So you've taken that narrow view and broadened it a lot more eventually. Yeah, I love that. So, um, so to tell us what you're working on in workforce, and, and uh, I know that involves very specific efforts and also more global kind of thinking about it. So... So guide us through um, why you care about that sector and, and or or topic and yeah. and where you what you needed. Uh, I care about it for a personal reason and frankly a little selfish because I'm a business owner and I need staff, right? So that was actually what started initially. Um, but in that process, I had a chance to chat with a lot of amazing amazing folks, which is why actually I'm on so many different boards because in the end. Solving workforce, it's not just putting butts in seats in a classroom and expecting people to just learn and, and pop out. And I'd be like, great, you know uh, how to program. I'm going to hire you now. There's a lot of different components that work into that, right? One, we have to have a population we can tap into. Two, we need to be able to provide uh, opportunities for that population to even be educated. And so what has happened over time is when I first started off this, I was like, okay, I just got to get butts and seats in, into classrooms, right? But then you go, wait a second, are these folks even gonna be ready for entering potentially post-secondary school, right? Do they have the skills, even have the background beyond just um, the technical aptitude or the technical background to actually be able to, to do the college level courses? Um, and then over time, I started to realize, wow, 
I really need to look at things more at a societal level because say we take someone, we put them in a seat at a community college, right? Washington College, community college, awesome, right in our backyard, phenomenal place, along with Eastern, UMish, and all the other ones in the surrounding area. But if we put that person in that seat and we expect them to learn, but what happens is 50% of the thought process might be going, okay, after this class, I have to make sure I get home and I don't have a car so I take the bus. And then on top of that, I then have to figure out how I'm going to feed my kids, right? If they have children. And so they're not fully able to invest themselves into that learning experience. And that is one of the challenges I think we need as a community society to better be aware of is it isn't just taking people, putting them in an environment, expecting them to thrive and learn. Um, there's a lot of societal issues that we have to solve ahead of time. Because if we tackle that, we actually as business owners come out ahead because then those mm-hmm. folks, one, pick up what we want them to learn. And then two, when they come out and they're ready to enter the workforce, a lot of those other problems are able to solve too, right? Because it's not like they make it through WCC, for instance, they graduate, I hire them, that all of a sudden magically, as soon as they walk through my door, like all those problems are fixed. They still have a problem, right? They have to get to work. So they have to figure out a car or bus system. Uh, and then they still have to be able to put food on the table, which I'm paying them money, but hopefully that works. However, there is a challenge also just on salaries and the cost of living. So I'm on boards like Mission Work Southeast, which deals with Job Seeker. Uh, there's United Way, which deals with how do we as a community support those that live there, right? And one of the things that I mentioned about United Way is they had this report called ALICE, A-L-I-C-E. It's an acronym for Asset Limited, Income Constrained, Employed. And the employed piece is, is the key critical word, right? Because these are our, what we consider our working poor. They're above the federal poverty level, but they're also below the overall cost of living. And so you can actually give them a paycheck, but they still can't afford to live, right? And that mm-hmm. figure depends on whether you're a single a couple or a family. And it it's very, very high up. I think for a single, it's like 20, 20 something thousand dollars you have to be pulling in in order to, to live in Washtenaw County above the, the cost of living. Um, and so as a business owner, I have to figure out, okay, well, now I have to make sure I'm paying these folks enough. But say like in tech, it's very, it's a lot easier for us to do that. See so in hospitality, and we saw this in COVID times, Sony went out of business because they don't have the ability to have the profit margins to one, be able to build a, 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 a cash of money to do those rainy days. And then on top of that, because their profit margins are so low, they can't even afford to pay their workers above living wage, right? And so this cycle that we all have to do. So for my workforce stuff, it's been a very educational experience for me as a business owner to determine, okay, what are the different components and pieces that really have to fit together on a policy level, an education level, a business level, uh, um, just a community working together as, as a finely tuned engine, right? And there's yeah. there's a lot of levers that are still not being pulled at the same amount that we have to figure out. So the workforce piece is because I need to hire people so that I can stay in this community. We can keep you found you here for long-term, which we want to do, but I need someone that I can tap into. Because a lot of times you're seeing Michigan students Majority of them leave, right? Um, yeah. So how do we tap into the existing, what we call the, the hidden talent pipeline, right? That's here in our community. And it may not be traditional folks. Right? So you have two-year graduates, uh, you have four-year folks, um, you have folks that haven't graduated from college or gone. 
And then there's uh, prison pipeline folks, there's um, uh, emotionally diverse, right? So folks that maybe have some emotional challenges, mm -hmm. but they're still great workers. Um, older adults that we can tap into, which I think are the opportunities to learn the skills that we need and go from there. It sounds like, you know, such a um, complex uh, um, topic, uh, systemic answer kind of that you're looking for. Are there one or two levers in particular that you're focused on within that whole environment like right now? Or yep. are you, are you, you know, working the whole system? Um, so me, I'm trying to work the whole system. However, there are one or two things that in particular I'm focused on, and that's educating and bring, pulling in more of my fellow uh, business owners, um, because we all have to kind of work together and be willing to invest into this approach, right? right. So uh, one is trying to get these different organizations that I'm on the board of connected so that they're working together, but mm -hmm. also for me to step in and say like, okay, as a, as a business owner, I need to also pull in other, uh, other folks in the community to help me with this journey so that it just starts to kind of trickle. And it's probably a very poor analogy, but a bit like the COVID virus, right? It's just like kind of get some people pulled in and it just ex expands from there uh, because we cannot just do this on an individual basis and expect also our social organizations, community organizations to, to get the messaging out there. Because for instance, it's a lot easier for me to go to another business owner and say like, hey, here's where I think you need to be involved versus say one of the community nonprofits I'm on. They may say the same messaging, but a lot of times just like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever, right? Whereas when I come, it carries maybe a little more motivation for them to actually listen and maybe act on it, hopefully. Right. Well, uh, that is fascinating. Um, and uh, and thank you for doing that work. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. Sounds like the... Sounds like the makings of a whole other podcast for you, um, you know, uh, to be to be talking about all those different elements of that issue. Uh, I think, um, so before I ask my last question for you, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think is interesting um, or that you, yeah, that you think would be interesting to share with people? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a pretty interesting path even getting here. Uh, and as I look back, I just view myself as very fortunate. Right? I've met amazing folks such as you and others throughout my journey, but a lot of it started right after I, I went to college, right? I went to a college in Long Island in New York, very small school, it was a naval architecture, a marine engineering place, except 25 students per, per year. And I discovered I just didn't like the degree. Uh, and I made the hard decision to basically take time off from school. So basically dropped out uh, junior year, worked in the field to kind of figure out if it was something I wanted to do. Uh, and then uh, decided I, I want to get back into mechanical engineering. Uh, which is what I was originally going to study, uh, but had a lot of issues with getting credits transferred. Turns out University of Michigan has the same naval architecture, marine engineering degree, but at other places, there's a dual major. Here, it's single. So with the amount of credits I had, I was able to just come here and just do my senior year. So I skipped majority of the junior year. I took a bunch of different classes. And actually, it's how I came across WCC, because a lot of the classes I had to take were electives, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not paying university of Michigan prices for this stuff. So I went to WCC, <laughs> did the transfer credits and went from there. But that was a really hard decision initially. Uh, and it was a life lesson because dropping out of school, man, my parents were not happy about that. 
it was a tough mm-hmm. decision for me and going, holy cow. And then moving halfway across the country to, to Ann Arbor, which I didn't really know much about. Uh, and then throughout that time since then, I've been very lucky to have a lot of different opportunities. And so my path has been all over the place with ups and downs. Mm-hmm. I've had two startups that I was involved in that, that frankly failed. Um, and so one, understanding that we may think we have our past, we just kind of you can direct yourself, but not everything's going to work out the way we think it is. Uh, two, we just can't compare ourselves to others. Like we do not live mm. in a true Instagram society. And um, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of success stories out there, but be willing to accept those failures. And hopefully they're not super doozies, but I've had some doozies and I just moved off from there, fortunately. Oh, I love that. I love that, Rich. All right. So, um, so what are you most excited about for the next year and what are you most excited about for the next decade? Uh, so for the next year for new foundry, uh, we actually have a bunch of different products that we're, that we're spinning off, uh, one in healthcare, one in travel. And then we're also, um, adjusting how we're going to approach even just our, our business development approach in new foundry, um, this year and hopefully see it come to fruition in 2022, right? And there's something that actually we started to um, go down the path of in 2020, but then COVID kind of put those plans on hold, right? Um, Because 2020 is starting off to be our best quarter Q1 ever, right? And then you're like, ah! uh." (laughs) Uh, So that's that's a challenge, but I I just feel like we have a lot of really great opportunity as a company. And then on the personal front, uh, I've, I've been awesome, spouse uh, that helps me also grow. And I just look forward to the decades moving forward of, of me learning more about myself, continuing to grow, evolve, be a better person, you know, do onto others as we want done unto ourselves, right? So that's, that's a pretty key mantra that I try to live by. And then also getting to have more chats versus with folks like you, right? I mean, your, your mind is amazing. And I've learned a lot, even just the, the few times that we've had a chance to, to chat, right? Mm-hmm. So it's inspirational for That's me. Nice. And I hope I just give back. And on the workforce side, I mean, I have some goals that I want there uh, for the year 2030. We'll see if that pans out here over the next eight years. Anything that comes to mind for what for a goal, like what kind of goal you have for 2030 for that? Uh, yeah, regards to workforce pipeline is... I can actually look back and we are tapping into that hidden talent pool, right? So there's okay. actually uh, almost like a, a process, a machine where all the members of our community that really want to work can actually have that opportunity to get the education, get the skills and be able to work hard. And it may, may or may not involve post-secondary education, right? But at least we're, we're enabling uh, folks to stay in the community and be able to work in the community. Yeah. Well, uh, and Rich, if people want to find out more, um, is there a best way to contact you? Uh, sure. They can reach me at rich at thenewfoundry.com. So that's T-H-E-N-E-W-F-O-U-N-D-R-Y.com. Or they can uh, call me. I'm up for conversations, uh, 734 734- <laughs> Three four eight three eight two eight, which is funny because I'm like, wait, what is my number? Because I never dial it. Um, yeah, and no, no, I'm sure I'll, maybe I'll see him around town. That'd be great. That's really great. Uh, you know, when when Phil Santer and I first talked about doing the series, um, the hope was to 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 give an inside look into what it's like to be a business owner and what you deal with. Um, and my particular uh, hope was that we get 
kind of open, authentic views of the good stuff and the bad stuff and all that. And, um, you know, this, I, I really appreciate, uh, you were open and authentic. Um, I, I love that perspective. I love getting that, that view, uh, inside because, um, some things go well, some things don't go well, and we're all living that experience. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing, um, your particular journey and your perspective. Um, so uh, that's this recording of uh, the Spark.Grow podcast. We'll be back in another six weeks, probably. And at that time, we might be broadcasting from the Ann Arbor District Library and their podcast room, hopefully. Um, but um, again, Rich Chang, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Spark.Grow, a podcast series brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. To learn more about Spark, visit annarborusa.org. And thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library as our recording partner. You can learn more about their resources at aadl.org.